We continue our scripture reading from the book of Joshua, the fourth chapter. And um, just so you know, I'm not going to be doing the ninth verse, okay? When the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, select 12 men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you camp tonight." Then Joshua summoned the 12 men from the Israelites whom he had appointed, one from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, one for each of the tribe of the Israelites, so that this may be a sign among you. And when your children ask in times to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. The Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took up 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord told Joshua. They carried them over with them to the place where they camped, and they laid them down there. The word of the Lord. Amen. So a few weeks ago, we hosted about 100 children here at a fall festival at the church. It was a lot of fun. I know many of you were there. You know how much fun it was. And of course, the climax of the entire evening for the children happened right out here on our parking deck, right? Where 25 different trunks were set up with decorations and costumes and games and, of course, candy. So for about 45 minutes, the children wandered from car to car. They played games. They experienced the silliness and, of course, collected candy. And all night long, I watched the same scenario play out over and over again. I'm sure you can imagine it, even if you weren't there. A child would come up to the trunk. They'd put their hand into the container, they'd grab that piece of candy, they'd put it in their bag, they'd start to turn away, like to go to another trunk or to follow their friend, and that's when you'd hear it. You'd hear the parent somewhere chime in, right? Saying, what do you say? <laughs> right? What do you say? I heard some really great answers that evening. One little child had just been given a starburst. And when his mom said, what do you say? He looked very earnestly at the person at the trunk and said, I really prefer chocolate. <laughs> Another child who was really quite young, when his mother said, what do you say? Stared up at this person dressed like a magician, Merlin wizard, and basically said, I like your costume. But for the most part, of course, the children knew what to say, right? Eventually, even if they were very young or very shy, they would turn around and say, 
thank you. Not exactly with a grateful heart, but thank you. And I really admire those parents. I admire their fortitude and their patience. I admire that in the midst of a situation like trunk or treat, which is really a situation tailor-made for greed and gluttony, right? The parents, our parents, you parents, insisted upon teaching gratitude. It was awesome. And I couldn't help but wonder, why? Why? Is it, is it just so that our kids would be polite? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm all for polite kids, don't get me wrong. But I think parents want more than that for their children. We actually all want more than that for the next generation. Now, I believe we insist on thank yous from our children because we know, we know deep down that gratitude touches something holy and sacred. We know deep down that gratitude has nothing to do with ourselves and has everything to do with what's ultimately important, what's ultimately worthwhile. And we know deep down that gratitude flows from a heart that rests in the grace of God. Gratitude flows from a heart that rests in the grace of God. And what more could we want for our children, right? Or for ourselves or even for this church. That's exactly what God wanted the Israelites to understand. That's what he was trying to teach them as they took their first steps into the promised land. As we read in Joshua just a few minutes ago, there they are. The whole nation of Israel, at a very critical moment, they are standing in the Jordan River. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God's people are just about to step into the promised land. Just as the Red Sea was parted by God at the beginning of their 40-year journey, now the River of Jordan is being parted by God. And God's people walk into their new life their new life in the promised land on dry ground. 40 years of struggle behind them, struggle where God never left them alone, and a God-ordained future before them. And right here, right in this moment, God gives them a lesson about gratitude. Here, says God, I've parted the water. Here, says God, I've delivered you to a new life. So here's what I want you to do. Take 12 stones, stack them up, carry them into your first place where you will lay your head, your first night in the promised land, and make a stone stacking place there. Stack them up to inspire gratitude. Stack them up to remember what I have done. Stack them up to teach the next generation. These standing stones, says God, these standing stones will be a memorial, a remembrance. Later, Joshua says people will see these stones and they'll ask, what do they mean? And when they ask, you're going to remember 
God's deliverance and grace. And when you remember God's deliverance and grace, you're going to continually be transformed into God's faithful people. That, my friends, was the plan with the standing stones. Now, I don't have time this morning to tell you the rest of Israel's story, but suffice it to say that at times this plan, this lesson of gratitude and grace, it worked. It worked for God's people. Just read the Psalms as they announce all of God's promises and blessings. Read the Psalms as they hint of lives transformed by God's grace. Or read the prophets as they announce God's faithfulness and call for changed hearts from God's people. There is a thread that runs through Old Testament scripture of gratitude to God and the transformation of human hearts that comes from experiencing God's grace. But Israel's story contains another thread as well, doesn't it? And it's a thread of forgetfulness and hard-heartedness, right? Somehow those standing stones meant to inspire and transform God's people became a memorial to the past. Memorial stones of a story that didn't impact future generations. That, my friends, is the danger that we take experiences of God's grace and mercy from the past and simply build memorials to them, memorial stones, church buildings left as memorials to the past where no service, no preaching, no worship happens any longer. Or Bibles family Bibles, grandmother's Bibles, carefully protected and preserved, never opened or read, or relationships, people that have meant something significant in the past where God's grace and mercy flowed, but the relationship is now simply a memory, a memorial stone. The thing about memorial stones is that they are understandable. They are manageable. We can control them, and they don't interrupt our lives. But God's grace and mercy are new every morning to be experienced moment by moment. And God's grace and mercy are not controllable. They always interrupt us. The Apostle Paul knew this. He experienced it when he first met Christ on the road to Damascus. He experienced a grace and deliverance so powerful that it propelled him into a new way of life. And he wanted that same way of life for his churches. Paul knew that God's grace transforms us, that God's grace transforms the world. And he didn't want the lives of Christians to be memorial stones to some past event. No, the lives of Jesus' followers, says Paul, are marked by their good works, their strength, their endurance, their joy, and their constant, and that's the key, constant thanksgiving to God. Such lives are standing stones to God's grace. Such lives point others to that source 
of transformation and power. John Ortberg puts it this way. He says, gratitude is what we radiate when we experience grace. Isn't that wonderful? Gratitude is what we radiate when we experience God's grace. Friends, that's what we want for our children. That's what we want for ourselves. That's what we want for our church, living, breathing experience of God's grace, right? Right? So I invite you, I actually urge you during this week when we celebrate a a wonderful secular holiday of Thanksgiving to consider what you are building. Consider what you build with your life, what you leave for your children and your children's children. And let me advise you that if you're going to build a life, build it right. Make it a standing stone of gratitude to God. Because that's ultimately what we're meant to be, my friends. Ultimately, our lives are standing stones. Standing stones of God's grace. Does God's grace flow through us? Can God's grace be seen in how we love, in how we forgive, in how we sacrifice, in how we spend? And ultimately, our church as a whole is a standing stone. It's a standing stone of God's grace. And the question for us is, does God's grace flow through this place? Not back in the 80s, not back in the 90s, but here and now. And are we standing stones in how we love, how we serve, how we welcome, how we teach today? Friends, the world doesn't need more memorials to God's grace from the past. There are plenty. And the world doesn't need distant stories of God's glory and grace. Library shelves are full of them. (laughs) No, what the world needs, what the world has always needed, are standing stones thanking God right now, pointing others to the source of grace and mercy right here. That's our job. That's our calling. Because we know something others can't know. We understand as Christians that our lives aren't our own, that in life and death we belong to God. We know what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We know that we have a chance at a different kind of life, a fresh start, that we have meaning for our lives far beyond what we could own or what we could accomplish. We know that we belong to God, that we have a place and we have work in God's kingdom. And that knowledge, that understanding can only result in one thing, gratitude. Paul's not talking here about memorial stones to some past experience of grace. Paul speaks of lives and churches that are standing stones of grace and mercy right now and right here. You are God's standing stones of grace for one another and for this hurting world. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
and be thankful, Paul said. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom with gratitude in your hearts. Sing. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. Standing stones of grace. Let us pray. God, we are grateful grateful for the ways that you have poured into our lives, into our world, into this church in the past. But today we pray that once again you open our hearts and our eyes, that you would help us to be more than memorial stones to what you have done before, but open us instead to be standing stones of your grace right here right now. Fill us, O oh God, with your grace so that we might be your grateful people. Amen. <laughs>